Well, hi, good morning, everyone. It's great, great to see you. And I'm very happy to share God's Word with you this morning. Really looking forward to that. Well, I'm very excited to bring to you something from God's Word in John's Gospel this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the Gospel of John. Um, It's a very beautiful book of the Bible. uh, And Jesus did many signs in this book to prove who he really is. But in chapter 20, verse 30, it says this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs, but these, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I'll tell you this morning, the best thing that you can ever have is life in his name, because that truly is life. Life without Jesus is not so good. But when you've got Jesus in your heart, and Jesus is your saviour, and your shepherd and your Lord, you begin to know the abundant life that he wants to give every person. Now, John's Gospel contains the record of many personal meetings that Jesus had with people, one-to-ones. For example, in chapter 3, Uh, He meets at night with Nicodemus, the Jewish religious teacher. In chapter 4, he meets with the woman at the well. In chapter 8, he has the encounter with the woman caught in adultery. In chapter 9, the man born blind. In chapter 11, Martha and Mary. In chapter 18, the interview with Pilate. And in chapter 21, the walk along the beach with Peter, Simon Peter. And this tells me something very important this morning, that Jesus died for everyone in the world, potentially. But that world is made up of individuals. It's made up of people like you and me. And this tells me that in this morning, in this church, Jesus knows you. He cares about you. He understands you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to take care of you. Well, before we open the Bible together, and we we will do eventually, um, I want to show on the screen a photo. There we are. Does anyone know where this is? All right, I'll give you a clue. It's it's in England. Uh, Sorry? Boss Castle, not far away. Right, I'll tell you where it is. It's Port Isaac. Now, let's see. What is, all, what is Port Isaac also called? All right, I must be the only, only person that uh, ever watches Doc Martin. Who watches Doc Martin on television? Two of us. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's a good start, isn't it? Well, two of us watch Doc Martin. Okay. Well... If you watch Doc Martin, you'll know that this is actually renamed Port Wen, isn't it? Back me up, those that watch it. It's called Port Wen. And um, Doc Martin is the story of um, Martin Ellingham. And he's a brilliant surgeon, but he suddenly gets a terrible aversion to the sight of blood. And uh, he has to... Um, give up surgery, and he's forced to become a GP. And he goes to 
Port Wen, where he runs the GP practice. Now, Martin is brilliant at diagnosis, um, but he's cantankerous and bad-tempered. He's got no sense of humor. He doesn't understand what a sense of humor is. And he's completely unable to empathize with the frailties of his patients. Everything's black and white to him, and he fearlessly tells people what is wrong with them. As one acquaintance says of him, a bedside manner is something completely alien to Dr. Ellingham. Now, while I'm talking about a, a TV show, well, I guess partly because I enjoy watching it still. Perhaps that says something about me, I'm not sure. But he is a brilliant doctor without any sympathy. But there's an even greater doctor, because the greatest physician in the universe is Jesus. And our greatest sickness is sin. And the only remedy for sin is to give our life to Christ in repentance and faith to receive his forgiveness and his healing. Well, at last we've got to our reading. And um, if you've got a Bible, turn please to John chapter 5. And this will be up on the screen. Now I'm going to read this particular chapter, including a footnote at the bottom of the Bible, but you'll have that footnote on screen. And it's called The Healing at the Pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Then at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's just explain this passage 
Bethesda actually means in the original house of kindness. And it was actually two pools. And if you go to Jerusalem now, they've just about excavated part of one of them. So there it is. But around these like swimming pool-sized pools were these covered colonnades, rows of columns with a walkway under the columns. You know the kind of thing. And this area was full of sick, lame, and paralyzed people of all ages, men and women. Why was it full of people? Well, it was full of people because, well, really, there was an urban legend, we would call it now. There was a saying, there was a, there was a talk in the Jerusalem that if and when suddenly an angel appeared and came down into the waters, then if you could get up quickly enough in your paralyzed condition and jump into the water straight after the angel, you would be instantly healed. Now, that was the story. We don't know whether it was really true or not, but that's what the Bible's talking about. So all these people, every day and night, lay there all the time, watching, just in case somebody came down from heaven and possibly they might get healed. So this morning I just want to consider three phrases which will go up on screen. It's three things that were said, quite extraordinary things. Do you want to get well? I've no one to help me, and stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Let's just look at the first one. Jesus comes into this situation. He sees the man. He picks on him out of everyone else. And he says something quite extraordinary, doesn't he? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Well, if I went to, say I went to, say I was shot in the head, I broke my arm, Somebody put a knife through me and I walked into Princess Alexandra Hospital and said, can you help me? And, they, and as I s staggered to the ground, they said, do you want to get well? <laughs> I said, oh no, I've just come for a coffee, Ashley. That's, what's what, that's what it was like, wasn't it? Do you want to get well? Of course I want to get well. Who doesn't want to get well? Well, the truth is, actually quite a lot of people don't want to get well. You see, disability and illness can bring benefits to people, can't it? I mean, if you're ill, you get sympathy. You get attention if you're ill. Well, hopefully you do. You get government benefits. You don't need to go to work. You don't need to accept life's responsibilities and try and sort them out. You might get free housing. Now, my wife and I, as you know, we, we work in Romania a little. And in Romania, if a child is born and that child is, is lame or, or paralyzed from birth, you know, there's something wrong with their leg or their arm or they can't see, some of the Romanian gypsy parents think, great, that's a good thing my child is like this because I can make money from my child. As my child grows up, I can put him in the marketplace, squatted on the ground without his legs or his arms or he can't see, and we can live off my child. You see... Illness can be a great thing. It can do you good. I don't want my child to get better. In fact, Marvin and I went to, the last time we were in Romania, we met a very poor family living in an absolute hellhole of a hovel. And the little girl couldn't see. And uh, we knew, we found out that it wasn't a very bad 
um, it wasn't permanent blindness. It could be fixed by a simple operation. We offered to pay. We went home, and uh, our manager in Romania said, they don't want it. They don't want your money. They don't want the operation. They don't want it. Why? Because they'll be better off with that sick child. It's terrible, isn't it? But that's how the world works. It happens in other countries as well. Wellness isn't just physical. I mean, you can be an Olympian champion and unwell, can't you? You know about that after the last couple of weeks. You might be struggling with an addiction. You might have Asperger's. Did anybody see um, Chris Packham? You know Chris Packham's Spring Watch? I don't know whether anyone saw him, the, the walk he did um, along to Winchester. I don't know whether anybody saw that, but he, he did an hour's walk to Winchester live. Well, recorded, obviously. And he started to talk about his Asperger's and how it affected him and how on his 18th birthday, he got up early before his parents could come into the room and say, oh, happy birthday, Chris. He ran out of the house because he didn't want them to say happy birthday because he wasn't happy. He was miserable. He didn't know how to handle life at all because, of course, he'd got Asperger's. And obviously, some of you know him and he's, he's overcome a lot of those things. But supremely, there's, what, there's the question of what the Bible calls as sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, what is sin? And I've written, written it down here. Sin is our self-will, our moral failure and independent spirit where we shake our fist at God and refuse to accept his salvation and live according to his will. We need a saviour. But do we want a saviour? Do we want to be saved? Do you want to get well? See what I'm, where I'm going? Do you want to get well? A lot of people this morning don't want to get well. They don't want to get right with God, otherwise the church should be full. They would rather do something else. I knew a young college student living a sinful lifestyle, feeling lost in life, having panic attacks. And at night, he would walk the streets of Holloway in London, trying to figure out if he had a future. And in his head, he could hear a voice saying, do you want your way or do you want God's way? And he felt in the end that it was God speaking to him, saying, come to me, do you want my way or do you want your way? And this went on for months and months and months. And one night, he made his mind up and he said, All right, Lord, I will give my life to you. And from that day on, his life radically, radically changed. Gradual, but radical. Now, why do I know that? Because that's me. I'm that man. When I was 22, God fought with me, fought with me over many years, but it, it finished when I was about age 22. God fought with me and said, Roger, your way or my way? And it went on and on and on. And it, it was and the biggest thing I ever did was say, Lord, I give my heart to you. And I tell you, friends, every day I get older, I think, Lord, the best thing I ever did was give my life to you. Because with God there's a future. This life is not all that there is to life. This life, when we die, there's another life after that. And I want that life to be 
with him. Moving on quickly, the second phrase. He says, when Jesus says, do you want, um, do you want to get well? The man says, I have no one to help me. Now, I felt when I was writing this out that this was the core of what I wanted to say. He says, I've no one. He says, I've, he says, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred, when the angel comes down, the water is stirred up. When I'm trying to get in, someone else gets in first. Listen. He had to be first or lose his chance. He had to be first or lose his chance. That speaks to me about what goes on in the world, about being first and life being a chance, doesn't it? You've got to be first to get on. You've got to, you've got to be first. Will you get on if you're not first? I don't know. But society puts it like that, and it's a little bit like a lottery. If I stay by this pool all my life, I might get healed. A lot of people are like that. One day, I might literally win the lottery, but one day things will get better. They might do. But something happened. I've written down there, this was his lucky day. Because Jesus came. It wasn't luck. Jesus didn't go to anyone else. He went straight to that man. But I want to say this. It wasn't luck. I believe it was this. For some divine reason, Jesus visited that man. And I want to say this morning that I don't understand it, but there are times when God visits us as individuals. He visits us as individuals. You may be with people, you may be alone, but somehow you might feel that God has drawn near. You might feel that God has drawn near. You won't be able to put it in writing. You won't be able to explain it to anybody. You might never want to tell anybody ever. But you will know at that moment, that God has drawn near to you because it's the day of his visitation to you. And friends, I want to say, if you feel that God has drawn near to you, don't ignore it. Don't turn around and say, I don't know what that was, uh, no. If you feel that God is saying to you, give your life to me, give your life to him. If you feel that God is saying, there's only one way, come to Jesus Christ, do it. Do not harden your heart. The Bible is full of stories of, of, of people that, where God came to them and they hardened their heart and they said, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live life on my terms. Friends, do not do that if, if you feel God is speaking to you or is visiting you. Open your heart to him and say yes. Because you may not get another opportunity. 
And because if you do say yes, what you gain will be one billion times more than anything the world could give you. I promise you that with all my heart. I have no one to help me. Are you saying that this morning? Well, you do. You do. Jesus Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. And I tell you, don't ignore what God is saying to you. Come to him and do it today. If you feel that's happening in this service, after this service, come and talk to me. Finally, because God hadn't finished with this man, had he? The man was healed, he goes away, Jesus goes away. And then but there's one final incident. Jesus finds him again. He's in the temple. And Jesus comes up to him and says, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Oof. This is another kind of Dr. Ellingham moment where Jesus says something that's quite cutting and quite hard and very incisive. Because the Lord knows all about us. He knew all about this man. An invalid for 38 years. Now, in a moment, he's free. Just think what that feels like. He couldn't walk. And now suddenly, he can walk and run and jump. He can do what he wants, can't he? But Jesus saw that that very moment could be a dangerous moment for him. Very dangerous. Stop sinning, he says. I don't know whether his previous sins and choices had made him ill in the first place. Not necessarily the case. But Jesus knew what he was like and said, change, change whatever it costs you. Famously in the Bible, it was King David, one of the greatest kings of Israel, and very close to God. And having conquered all his enemies, suddenly for the first time in his life, he had time on his hands. And the Bible says in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, what did David do? This was the first time. He didn't go off to war with them. He had, he had time. He could delegate all that stuff. And he had time to do what he wanted. So David stayed at home. And he looked out of a window. And there, across the way, was a lady having a bath in full view. Bathsheba. And the rest is history. A dangerous moment. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. We can come to God, friends, as we are, but we can't stay as we are. We can come to God with all kinds of problems into church. You'll be welcome in this church with whatever problems and difficulties you have, things too shameful you could even talk about. You're welcome to come here. But the Lord wants us to come to him and be healed and made whole. And we can't stay as we are. Having healed us, 
God expects us to take responsibility for our life and make wise choices. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, A person reaps what they sow. We say with temptation, Oh, we're tempted. I'm not going to say what. We're all tempted, aren't we? We can say, Oh, I'll have a look at that. I'll have a go at that. I'll do that. Because I can control this temptation. And the truth is we all know that actually you probably can't. You probably can't. I've found that with temptation. You start going down that road, the chances you'll be able to stop and turn around are very, very remote. A dangerous moment. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Stories told that in the days before cars were invented, the lady of the manor house advertised for a new carriage driver. And uh, three men, three carriage drivers arrived and in turn demonstrated their skills by driving the coach and horses as close as possible to a cliff edge. But the lady was unimpressed. And the lady called up the final driver and, he said, and she said to him, right, you take the reins now, you show me what you can do. And uh, he said, uh, looking at these other drivers, he says, I don't know how to close to the edge I can drive, but I will keep away as far as possible. And he got the job, by the way. <laughs> Stay away. Do you want to get well? And then finally, do you want to stay well? We've got two choices in our life. We can stay as we are, or we can come to Christ. And we can turn from our sin. We can be forgiven and made whole. We might have done terrible things in our lives. But I promise you from experience, God can heal all of that all of it, and can make us whole, and you can begin to know what real forgiveness and real love from God is. I've finished, really. But just one thing, maybe you're going to say to me afterwards, well, do you believe God does heal people nowadays? Yes, I do. Um, when I worked in Bedford with Marvin, we worked in village evangelism, uh, going around the little chapels, the little village chapels, and uh, I had a friend who was twice my age. Uh, Bill Golding was his name. He was a pastor. And he was one of these ministers who'd had to work all his life. So he worked and ran a church as well. But he was a fantastic man. And at the age of 60, he decided to become a missionary at 60. So off he goes to Johannesburg in South Africa with his wife. And uh, he started to go around the, 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 the villages in South Africa. And one day he was walking through the streets of Johannesburg and he had a burning pain in his eyes, went completely blind. And I say completely blind when I say he had a white stick. They came home, he came home a broken man. He had a white stick, he couldn't do anything, couldn't read the Bible, couldn't do anything. And one day, our church connections, assemblies of God in those days, we had a big conference down in Minehead uh, and people were asked to come forward for divine healing. And the minister of our church, because he, he wasn't the minister, the minister of our church, another man, laid his hands on him and said, in the name of Jesus, receive your sight. And instantly, he got his sight back. 
And when I say he got his sight back, he was able to read small print. He got his car license back, and he worked with us in the villages for many, many years after that. God heals us physically. I don't know why he doesn't heal everybody. That's another sermon. But he does heal us. And secondly, and even more importantly, he wants to heal our souls. If you feel today that this is the moment where God is speaking to you, don't walk out of those doors with doing nothing. Don't walk out. Come and we'll pray with you and help you. Because Jesus wants to make us well. He wants us to stay well. And he wants us to be whole. Shall we pray? Lord, I know I've been a long time and I've and, uh, talked for a long time, but Father, I just feel this morning that you are here and you're here to heal us, to help us, to save us, to forgive us. Help us this morning to do business with you, Lord. And if there's anyone particular here, I pray that you'll help them to turn to you with all their hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.